Anyway, if you would turn with me to Zechariah 10, we have been in Zechariah for some time now. We'll be in Zechariah 10, verses 6 through 12. Zechariah 10, verses 6 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though as and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle from from them and gather them in. For I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of trouble and strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord. And they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. It seems like a theme lately I've always been starting with is literature and entertainment. Uh, But there's something about literature and entertainment where you have these long, drawn-out stories. There's a series that I love that is over ten books long. It's a long story. And if you start in the middle and you move on, you kind of are lost. As to where you are. You may read the book. It may make sense to you in uh, a way. But it won't make sense entirely. Could you imagine watching the. What I'll call the original third Star Wars movie. Right. The uh, the Return of the Jedi. Could you imagine watching that. Before you watch the first of the original Star Wars movies. It would be weird right. I mean, you can understand the story. You could understand it in sense, but it wouldn't fully make sense. Or another way, another one I loved growing up was Back to the Future. If you watch the third Back to the Future movie before the first Back to the Future movie, you're really going to be lost. I loved growing up. My dad read to me Lord of the Rings trilogy. And before the Lord of the Rings trilogy is The Hobbit. And you can read The Hobbit by itself, or you can read the trilogy by itself. And they, they stand independently in a sense of one another. But so much more makes sense if you read all four of the books. Augustine said this, the Old Testament is the gospel in bud and the New Testament is the gospel in bloom. Why did I say that all about stories? Well, it's the same is true from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You can read the New Testament and it makes sense and you can read the Old Testament in a sense and it makes sense, but together they really make sense. You see the whole width and and breadth of the story of the truth. In essence, the Old 
Testament prepares us historically and conceptually for the New Testament. Paul says it this way, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scripture we might have hope. The Old Testament encourages and instructs us us as we move forward. And so we're going to look today at Zechariah. How does it encourage us and prepare us for the New Testament? In Zechariah today, we're seeing that God is coming and he is saving his people. He is bringing to them salvation. So I want us to see three aspects of that salvation. First, we're going to see the reality of salvation. Second, we're going to see the call of salvation. And third and finally, we will see the means of salvation. Let's begin by looking at the reality of salvation. Zechariah begins here in verse 6 in talking about this salvation coming in different ways. At first he says, I'm going to strengthen the house of Judah. So one way we can look at salvation is by strengthening. Second, he says, I will save the house of Joseph. So saving is another way he's going to restore his people. Third, he says, I will bring them back. I will have compassion on them. It'll be as if I have never rejected them we're seeing the restoration of the people they will be strengthened as they are restored god will answer them in their affliction they will become mighty warriors he will build them up and use them and in this they will find great joy it says they will be as if they were drinking wine He's saying the feeling they will have is that elation that you get from alcohol. That's the comparison he's making here. Not that they're going to be drunk, but that they're going to have that joyous feeling as he restores them. Salvation, in essence, is coming in and delivering from affliction and bondage two things that are real things he begins here by talking about Judah and Joseph or Joseph and Judah now who is he talking about Joseph northern kingdom we've been talking about this those in Israel who had separated uh, Judah southern kingdom Jerusalem one was brought into captivity by Assyria the other by Babylon Both in their sinfulness were sent into exile. They were scattered among the the nations. Yes, we know from Haggai, from Zechariah, that part of Judah had returned. But most of the north and south remained in exile. They remained scattered among the people. We know they were scattered for their sinfulness. Augustine says this, Again, the guilt of sin so dominates in men that it prevents their attainment of the eternal life, which is the only true life, and drags them down even to the second death, which is eternal. In essence, Augustine is saying the wages of sin is death, as Paul puts it. 
They are in need of saving. They have sinned before their God. They have been scattered among the nations. They are guilty. Sin is reigning in their lives. They must be restored. They must be restored to the presence, to the blessing of their God. They must be restored to his favor. As we are restored, there remains no barrier between us and God. We can come wonderfully into his presence so that we can have this joy, which is talked about here. I think it's interesting because when you talk about the Christian life, particularly in today's culture, Christianity is accused of being a joy stealer, isn't it? Don't tell me what I can and can't do. We're buzzkills. Those Christians are buzzkills, man. They're telling me all these rules of things I can do. And these things I can do, you're being a hindrance to joy. How can rules and following after this God be joyous? And yet those who are in Christ, those who are in, have God as their father, know the exact opposite is true. When we come and we are saved, we are freed from the misery of sin. As we dwell in God's abounding grace, he is the cause of our salvation. Israel and us, we have a problem. Uh, They had a problem. We are guilty of breaking God's law. And there's nothing, nothing we can do to fix it. Here's the reality for Israel and for Judah, for both North and South Kingdom. They were in exile and they deserved it. They deserved it. They had putting up idols and they had sacrificed to these idols they had trusted in the world they had not trusted in God judgment had been passed there was nothing they could do to fix it sin was far too strong it had hold of them the cause of our salvation is not found in us. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough good things. You cannot say enough good things, think enough good thoughts to restore yourself to God. And if it can't be found in us, then it must be found somewhere else. There is something in God that we can appeal to his grace God says here that I'm going to restore and strengthen my people why why will he restore why will he strengthen his people because they're so good because he wills it Because he has loved them. He chooses to do so by his sovereign choice. He has made himself their God. And he is going to be faithful to them. I love when in scripture. And if if you're not careful you'll miss this. But God is making covenant with Abraham. And he says to Abraham. I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be my people. And in the Old Testament a covenant was done this way. You would literally take some animals. And you would separate them in two. 
And then both parties would walk between these animals. And, and the, the imagery was this. If either of us breaks this covenant, it will be to us as these animals. In essence, we will be split in two. Do you know the wonderful thing about the covenant that's made with Abraham? Who walks through the, the, between the animals? Abraham does not. Abraham does not walk through. God walks through. And I think we can say Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ walks through. And God says, you're going to be my people and I'm putting that on me. It's not based upon your goodness or your failure. It's based upon me. I have chosen you. This saving comes through faith in him. It's his gift to hopeless sinners. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And listen to this. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. They had a problem. We have a problem and it's sinfulness. But God in his graciousness has delivered us. Salvation is indeed a real thing. We have a real need, but we also have a real God. Salvation is real. And so he calls us, our second point to that salvation. And he continues, last week we saw that he used this analogy of a shepherd. He continues in verse 8 in that vein. I will whistle for them and gather them in. This is the shepherd with his pipes. And the shepherd blows his pipes and the sheep know uh, the pipes of of their master. And they come in. They hear him. Israel will be drawn in from the north, from the south. As we said, they have been scattered. They were uh, put out through all the nations. And the word here for scatter is the Hebrew word zera. There's a wonderful wordplay that's going on in this word. We, we miss it a bit in the English because scatter or zera means both scatter, but it also means to plant. You, you can imagine uh, the farmer as he's going out particularly in, in, in new testament times or old testament times they would prepare the field they didn't make straight little lines like we do today they would prepare the field and they have their bag of seeds and they go out and they go like this and they're scattering their seeds right it's that same thing but as he's scattering his people what is he doing he's planting them he's preparing them to be something It's a wonderful thing. John Calvin says it this way. For the Jews would dwell everywhere and be God's seed and thus be made to produce abundant fruit. Thus the punishment of exile was the means of opening the door for the gospel. And God scattered his seed here and there that it might in due time produce fruit beyond the expectation of all. In essence, Calvin says, even here in Zechariah, even before Zechariah, when they went into exile, guess what he was preparing for? Jesus. He was preparing for the gospel. 
And so you see Paul and others go out and they run into these people like Timothy's mother. mother. Yeah, that's new. Yeah, mother. I slip into it every now and again. Uh, mother. Or Lydia, the dyer of purple cloth. She was in these scattered places and yet she remembers, oh, you know what? I remember you're talking about the Jewish God, right? Uh, my, my people used to be Jews. Tell me more about what you're saying. These people who would become the foundation of the church were scattered and planted. God had a marvelous plan and he will call those to himself. He plants them and he will grow them. He will use his pipes. As John says, my sheep know my voice. And they will come when I call. Today, his pipes are still playing. His pipe is in the form of the gospel. And through the gospel, he summons his own to himself. Those who are scattered throughout the world will hear his voice and they will come. And there will be a great harvest that will be brought into the church. How did Jesus say it? The fields are white for harvest. Who will work? My fields. This is not a new concept in the Bible. From the very beginning, God's people were being scattered from Adam and Eve to the Tower of Babel to so on and so forth. And so in far countries, people will hear the gospel and they remember who their God is. Do you know where the gospel is growing the most right now on this earth? Secret, it's not America. China, Africa, people throughout the earth are hearing the gospel and they're believing softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling you sinner, come home and you cannot ignore this call. If you ignore it, if you tear, you may never respond. And we as the church must remember his seed is out there. It has been planted. It is waiting to be watered. It is waiting for the light of the gospel to be shown upon it. Are you working for the building of the kingdom? His call is going out. And he means to save. How does he save? What is his means of salvation? Zechariah here uses a means, a model for the salvation. And he points Israel back once again to the Exodus. This is a story we know well, right? Maybe the first thing that pops to your mind is Charlton Heston let my people go right with the staff or maybe when I was a kid uh, that Prince of Egypt came out that cartoon movie I remember seeing that and uh, talking about the same story and so we, we have these notions in our, our mind about the Exodus we have these images when we think of the Exodus is a pretty common story 
And this text here speaks of oppression from Egypt, from Assyria. Now, we have to remember, for, in Zechariah's time, these are no longer current threats. Just like today, these are no longer current threats. They're examples. Hey, remember when you were in bondage from Egypt? Hey, hey remember when you were in bondage from Assyria? Hey, remember God who delivered you? He says, I will deliver you. I will bring you out of the land of Egypt. I will gather you from Assyria. All those that will come in, there'll be so much that there'll be no more room left. And they're going to pass just like the Israel did. We see this passing through the waters and land being dried up. What is he talking about there? The parting of the sea, right? The mighty power of God as he comes and he conquers even creation. He commands it. The exodus becomes a model of salvation even today. The one who calls us is still our Passover lamb. He is the one who delivers us from bondage. He is the one who will deliver us into his promised land. We must focus on the God who leads us. He is the savior of the exodus. John shows us this. As we were, if we were to go study the book of John, he compares himself to manna. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He fills us. He is our sustenance. He is like the life-giving water that came from the rock. Again, John 7, on the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of this heart will flow rivers of living water. He makes water flow from the dead, lifeless rock that is our heart. He is the cloud by day, the fire by night. John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We are to focus on him. He is the one who directs our path. He is the God of Israel who met all of Israel's needs, who took care of them even in their wilderness wanderings, who provided food, who provided water, who kept them safe. He will accomplish it all, no matter how great the oppression is. He will deliver us. No longer does he cry out to Pharaoh. No, Jesus Christ on the cross cried out to sin. The great enemy of us all, and he said, let my people go. For I have freed them. I have paid the price of their sin. The reality of the resurrection is far greater than even that of the Exodus. God came in a personal way to save his people. He sent his servant. He came with great power 
He even exercised power over the water. We remember Jesus walking on these stormy, turbulent waters. He had power over creation. He produces all that we need. Jesus Christ is the model of our salvation. He has come with power. He meets our needs. Do you believe that salvation is a real thing? It's not something that's fabricated. It's not something that's just nice to think about. We have been delivered from death into life. We have been called by a good and gracious shepherd who has loved us, who has called us specifically by name. We must understand that we are being called out, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of a land of oppression. And he is delivering us into his promised land. A land that flows with milk and honey into his eternal presence where we will glorify his name, where we will praise him forever. We have been given the Passover lamb. I've said this several times today, the Passover lamb. You understand what that means? In Egypt, you will take the pure spotless lamb and you will take its blood and you will put it on your doorpost. And any house that is found without the blood of the lamb covering them, their firstborn sons will die. We have been covered by the blood of the lamb. So Jesus now is our Passover lamb. This is what we get to celebrate here in a few moments. Jesus, our Passover lamb, his body broken for us, his blood spilled out for us. The image of the newborn lamb was innocence, but we know a lamb is just a lamb. But Jesus was wholly innocent. He was perfectly innocent. He had never transgressed the law of God. He was without sin, and yet his blood was slain for us. It is a wonderful, beautiful promise that is given to us. You will pass through the sea of troubles, or he will pass through the sea of troubles. He will strike down the waves of the sea. And the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. Do you believe in a God who has this kind of power? Do you believe that you have been saved in this kind of way? If you have, then I pray, I encourage you, rely on his strength. Do not rely on your own strength. Rest and trust wholly in him at all times. And if you don't know this, come and know the God who saves, who frees you from the bondage of slavery. Rest and trust in his name. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for what he has done for us, that he is indeed our Passover lamb. 
who has prepared the way for us. Lord, would this truth never, never be far from our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand now.